Disney Roulette is a movie review podcast in which we discuss, in detail, the movies available on Disney's streaming service. In internet speak, that means, spoiler alert, you've been warned. Also, while Disney films are safe for the whole family to enjoy together, this show is not. Listener discretion is advised. All that said, let's do this shit. everyone and welcome to Disney Plus Roulette, a magical movie review podcast, part two. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm Bob. Last time on Disney Roulette Plus. That's not the name of the show. You're right. <laughs> Please edit that out. Oh my god, no. Do it right. Do it right. Do it right. Last time on Disney Plus Roulette. We reviewed The Incredible Dr. Pull, and here we are with part two. We are going to have our good old drink trivia, and we're going to talk about Finding Dory. Part two. So our drink this week is called The Clown and the Surgeon. That is because Marlon is a clownfish. And, and we did Dr. Pull last time, and he's a doctor surgeon, right? No. Marlon is a clownfish, and Dory is a blue tang, which is a type of surgeon fish. Oh. Mm -hmm. And our drink this week, we have just two shots. One is an orangish color and one is a bright blue color. So it just looks like the fish. Listen, it's been a very busy week. Our orange beverage is a local distillery choice. Belle Isle Blood Orange Moonshine. Our blue drink is just good old blue curacao. And we got a shot of each. Let's do the uh, curacao first. What? What? You're dictating? Ugh. Yes. Because the moonshine is so good. Oh, I forgot. This moonshine is quite tasty, isn't it? Yes, it is. Cheers. Ah, salon. And number two. Oh, baby. All right. Let's get into trivia. My first bit of trivia is that Hank the octopus only has seven tentacles because that's all the animators could fit on his body. <laughs> So they gave him a backstory to explain his missing limb. There's also a squid that seemed to have a fuck ton of tentacles, but the squid also didn't have to have like a moving mouth. I think it's because his mouth, the way he's animated, is where his legs are. Yeah. I think that was the problem. Which most of the time they didn't show his mouth anyway. So, I mean, I get what they were going for, but it yeah. feels a little superfluous. And I mean, the squid did have a mouth, but it was on the underside because of squid. It was a beak. Yes. I actually didn't see this. I read this in the trivia. We did not see it when we were watching it because they kind of minimized the movie and it goes away after, once the credits start rolling. At the end of the movie, there is a post credit scene and it has the tank gang from Finding Nemo. They are all still in their little fish bags that they escaped in. They're like swimming and swimming and swimming and they roll up to the Marine Institute still in their bags. And they get scooped up by the Marine Institute and rescued. Do you think they met Sigourney Weaver? I hope so. I want to meet Sigourney Weaver. 
So there's thought, is this supposed to kind of lead to a third movie of them in the Marine Institute? Or is it just like a fun little thingy? We don't know. All right. You guys, I'm going to try really hard not to be overly soapboxy, but there's going to be some feelings at the end of this. This is why. They changed a lot of this movie after the release of Blackfish. The park was originally going to be a very SeaWorld-like park. It was kind of more of an entertainment park. And Destiny the Whale Shark was going to be a killer whale. They decided to change it to a rehabilitation facility and to make Destiny into a whale shark instead because they didn't want to look back on this in 50 years and have it be their Song of the South. You can't see it, but I'm rolling my eyes really hard. You're going to compare having animals in a facility to slavery and Jim Crow? Okay. Okay. But we'll get more to the Blackfish stuff at the end. But that's the trivia that we've got for you. This movie. (laughs) Poor Bob. I kept having to pause it to be like, okay, wait, what just happened? What just happened? What just happened? Because shit was happening so fast, I literally couldn't type fast enough to keep up with it for my notes. And I'm not a slow typer, and I was actively missing a good chunk of the movie. I told Bob, it was like a Rube Goldberg machine. Literally, fish are just bouncing across landscapes in various crazy ways. Literally. The whole movie. (laughs) And I had a really hard time keeping up with the notes. But anyway, the movie starts. We've got a young Dory who is tiny and adorable and has the biggest eyeballs you've ever seen. Yeah. She's with her parents, and they're preparing her for school. They're kind of telling her how to tell the other kids that she has memory loss, and they're teaching her to stay away from the undertow, and just kind of really trying to ingrain in her brain as best they can all of those important things. And it's not sticking. No. The next scene is little Dory lost, and she's asking just any fish she comes across for help, but no one can help her because she can't remember where her parents are. So even though she's like, I need my parents, their names are this and this, can you help me? Everybody's like, well, if if you don't remember where they were, then I can't help you. And they kind of montage this into adulthood. By then, she can't even remember what she's looking for anymore. She's just kind of going up to other fish and being like, hey, I'm looking for something, but I don't know what it is. Can you help me? It's really sad. (laughs) Yeah, especially since the fact that they literally ram it right up into Finding Nemo. Yeah, this is when she meets Marlin. Dory is literally been lost her entire life. Yeah. It's really sad. It is. It's heart-wrenching. So then she meets Marlin, and then we get a one year later. So we are bypassing the events of Finding Nemo, and now we're taking up where that left off. Dory is living next door to Marlin and Nemo, and there's kind of a bit where she keeps waking them up over and over again, and Marlin's like, no, it's not time, go to sleep. And then she immediately comes back out and keeps getting electrocuted by their anemone. By the way, Dory's parents were greatly played by Eugene Levy. And I did not get the mom that was just not iconic enough for me. But it was Diane Keaton. Oh, Diane Keaton. I love her. Adorably played. Yeah. Quick shout out to the fucking voice actors. Those two, Kate McKinnon, Ty Burrell, Ed O'Neill, Idris Elba... Is a really, really good voice cast. Yeah. They take Nemo off to school, and she apparently often tags along with the class. But Marlin tries to tell her that, hey, Mr. Ray's, like, really busy, so maybe you shouldn't go this week. And it's obvious that 
she's kind of a burden to Mr. Ray and he needs a break from her. But Marlon's trying to like ease the blow a little bit. But she takes that as, oh, well, then Mr. Ray needs a teacher's assistant. I'm gonna go help him. And Marlon at this point is like, fuck this. I I can't, bro. This is your problem. (laughs) (laughs) The class goes to watch a migration of stingrays and her way of assisting Mr. Ray is to repeat everything he says right after he says it. And I love Dory. I think she's adorable. But five minutes into this, I was like, oh God, if this is the whole movie, it's too much and I can't. She was pretty annoying. I feel bad because like I know she got a condition, but man, whew. Repeating every single word that comes out of his mouth is not a part of short-term memory loss. That's just kind of obnoxious. (laughs) So anyway, the rays, as they are swimming by, are singing about the undertow, and this triggers a memory for Dory. And this is going to kind of be a recurring thing throughout the movie. They're going to flash back to different memories of hers, and that's going to kind of help her piece together where she came from. While she's kind of like zoned out in this memory, she gets swept up in the rays and knocked unconscious. And when she's waking up, she remembers her family. She's kind of like in a dream state and she's like, oh, I remember my family. And she decides she's going to go find them. And with Nemo's help, they convince Marlin to help her go find them because she's like, I can't remember anything. I will get lost again. I need your help to help me remember that I'm trying to find my family. But they have to go to California. She remembers her family's in California, which is super far away. So Marlon brings in Crush for them to hitch a ride. He knows a guy. Just to have Crush in the movie. I mean, why not? Yeah, they're the best part. They hitch a ride with Crush and Squirt, and then they leave the turtles and are in a, they call it a neighborhood. And it's just a bunch of underwater wreckage. And Dory is shouting a lot. She's like, Bob, Dad, Bob, Dad, Bob, like over and over and over. And there are a bunch of crabs that are popping out of hiding spots to shush her. Shh. Yeah. And the shushing sound triggers another memory of her being in the same place when she was little looking for her parents and saying, have you seen my parents, Jenny and Charlie? So then she remembers that her parents' names are Jenny and Charlie. The crabs continue to shush the way Bob is shushing me right now. (laughs) And they are doing that because there's a giant squid looming. Yep. Which, by the way, can be bioluminescent, apparently. Yeah, they aren't bioluminescent in real life, but it looked really badass, so I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a big chase sequence, and... Okay, okay, here's the big question. If you could be bioluminescent, would you? Yeah! Okay, that's the right answer. I was just Who wouldn't? I'm just checking. That's awesome. Anyway, so in this big chase scene, Nemo almost gets eaten by that, that little beak. That little yeah. squid beak. It's not not intimidating. No, This very movie scary. had a PG rating, and it had some creepy moments, for sure. Yeah, it earned it. They managed to rescue Nemo, but then afterward, Dory is being Dory, and Marlin snaps at her because he thought he was about to watch his child die. Yeah. And when he snaps at her, she swims off, and in all of the kerfuffle with this fight, she has one of those plastic soda rings that hold the six packs together, kind of wrapped around her body. While she is swimming off and now getting lost, she hears the voice of Sigourney Weaver saying, Hello, I'm Sigourney Weaver. (laughs) And the voice of Sigourney Weaver lures her to the surface. Marlin and Nemo find her and follow her up there, but she gets picked up by people in a raft who want to rescue her and get that plastic off of her. And it turns out they have made their way to the Marine Life Institute. 
and Sigourney Weaver is doing the voiceover at the pools at the Institute. Dory gets tagged and put in a tank in a quarantine building. Here she meets Hank the Octopus. We are introduced to him as he is camouflaging himself against the wall. I fucking love an octopus. They're one of my favorite animals, and I love their camouflage, so I love all the -the over-the-top camouflaging he does throughout the movie. And it was really well animated. The attention to detail of making the octopus the texture and everything. Like, it was really well done. Yeah. Hank wants her tag because that tag means that she is going to go on this trek to Cleveland. It was Cleveland, right? Cleveland. Yeah. He is due to be re-released, but he does not want to be re-released. Something really traumatic happened to him and he lost a tentacle and he wants to stay and just be at peace and alone in his tank here at the Marine Center. So he's like, I need your tag so I can go to this center in Cleveland and not get re-released. And immediately Dory was like, that no longer makes you an octopus. Now you're a septopus. And I thought the same thing. Yeah. She goes, I can't remember, but I can count. (laughs) Which I thought was a pretty good line. Yeah. Marlin and Nemo strike up conversation with two sea lions who were also rehabbed and released from the center. And they tell them, don't worry, she'll be released just like we were. And just like Sigourney said she would be. One of them is Idris Elba, by the way. Yes. They're fantastic. (laughs) I mean, they're assholes. They're, like, really mean to another sea lion, but they're really funny. I mean, it was Gerald, and Gerald's weird. Yes. So Hank puts Dory in a coffee pot and carries around in a little pool of water in the coffee pot and sneaks her out to a map because he's like, look, I don't know the layout of this place. I can't help you find your parents. You got to figure that out yourself. They've worked out a deal that if he takes her to get her parents, he can have her tag. They get to a map and she sees a purple shell and that triggers another memory of her finding shells as a kid. And she remembers, oh, my mom really liked purple shells. At some point, they discuss, like, it's her destiny or some such. I don't remember when exactly that line happened. But by a freak coincidence, they come across a bucket of water that says destiny on the side. So Dory's like, obviously that's where I'm supposed to be and throws herself in... The destiny bucket. Which, by the way, is a feeding bucket full of dead fish. It's for a whale shark named Destiny. So Destiny is severely nearsighted. She and Dory literally run into each other and get to chatting. It turns out they were buddies back in the day, and they used to talk to each other through the pipes. She's a whale shark. Yeah. So that's where she learned to speak whale. Yeah. Even though whale sharks aren't whales, but that's okay. It's fine. Remember when that character was supposed to actually be a whale? Hey. Uh... Anyway, Destiny tells Dory that Dory and her family lived in the open ocean exhibit. So now Dory knows where she needs to go. Uh, We also meet Destiny's next door neighbor, Bailey. Bailey is a beluga who had a head injury and lost his ability to echolocate, or so he says. But the veterinarians can't find anything wrong with him. And don't know why he wouldn't be able to echolocate anymore. And it's Ty Burrell. And it is. He's delightful. (laughs) While they're having this conversation, Hank plops in the exhibit. He has caught up to Dory. Destiny tells them they can get to the open ocean exhibit through a pipe, but Hank can't fit through the slats. And Dory can, but she can't remember the directions to get there without him. So instead they have to find another way. And the concept of finding another way triggered another memory. 
memory must not have been that important because I didn't write down what it was. <laughs> so we go back to Marlin, Nemo, and the seals. The seals call Becky, a bird, to come and help Marlin and Nemo. And they make really long eye contact with her to form some kind of connection. They kind of act like it's an imprint kind of thing. but They like, literally say imprint. But Becky's a full-grown bird. Yeah. Eh, whatever. There's something not quite right with Becky either. No, there's not. Marlin and Becky form this weird connection by staring at each other for a long time. And making a sound. Yeah. And then the sea lions call Gerald, the nerdy sea lion that they don't really like, that they had kicked off their rock earlier. He's kind of creepy. Yeah. They call him, and he has a plastic pail, and they're like, hey, buddy, you want to bring your plastic pail over here? We'll let you sit on the rock. So he comes up, sets down his pail, and he's like, yeah. I'm on the rock. And then they grab the pail and kick him off. Yeah, they also didn't say how long, so. Yeah, they're kind of assholes. So then Becky scoops Nemo and Marlin up in the bucket in the little sand pail and in Becky we carry trust. them off. Hold on. Oh, we have to do our drink. What do you mean do our drink? We did our drink. So the drink is called the clown and the surgeon because like clownfish and surgeon fish, get it? So we're gonna do our drink. We, we did our drink. We did? We, we did, we did our drink. We... Oh, well. well, we should do our drink again just to make sure. To make sure that we did our drink already? Yeah. Guys, I think she's trying to get me liquored up. And you're on my microphone. It's weird. Enjoy your drink. I swear I don't remember us doing the drink. What do you mean we didn't do our drink? Alright. So, Dory and Hank have found their other way. They've snuck onto the bottom of a stroller. Destiny causes a distraction, and while all the people are watching Destiny, Hank starts rolling the stroller away while no one's looking. They knock over a tub of popcorn, and Becky, being a bird, sees that and immediately swoops down after, leaving the bucket on a branch on the way. She's like, oh, sorry, boys, here you go, and goes and gets some popcorn. But in Becky, we should have trusted. Marlin says, funk this, and Nemo and him jump out of their bucket and try to use this fountain thing to, to continue their their struggle. Yeah, they end up in a tank set up at a gift shop with, like, a motorized fish in there. Dory is supposed to be directing the stroller. She's in, like, a little sippy cup at the top of the stroller. And he's in adorable. the storage part underneath. She tells him to take a wrong turn, and he gets pissed. They end up in an argument, bump the stroller, and it rolls down a hill and into the kids' exhibit. Because, of course, it does. Not only just kids exhibit, it's the touching tank. Yep, they crash into a touch tank and go flinging into it, and fucking terror ensues. Yeah. <laughs> this, this scene is, is so creepy. Terrifying. It's just terrifying, the way it's filmed, and I, I, I have feelings about it, but it's fine. It's fine. I'll save those feelings for later. Uh, eventually, Hank gets poked, and he inks... And the kids flee in terror because this black, creepy ink is spreading everywhere. Once the scene is safe, they look above the water and ta-da! The open ocean tank is right across the way in front of them. There was for sure a sex joke because as soon as he inks, 
Dory says, don't worry, everybody does it. <laughs> a little joke for the parents out there. So we go back to Marlin and Nemo. They see a tide pool exhibit across the way. And there's one of those splash zones where the little water jets out of the ground and kids can run around in their bathing suits in between them and this tide pool exhibit. They decide that the best way to find Dory is to think like Dory and do what Dory would do. And Nemo's like, you know, that's what Dory would do. <laughs> so they bounce across these jets of water in the splash zone and into the tide pool. Remember when I said this whole fucking movie is like a Rube Goldberg machine? We're just getting started. They don't quite make it. Yeah, they don't quite make it, but they eventually get in the tide pool. And then they have a very awkward interaction with the clam, who I'm pretty sure was voiced by the director, I think I read. But man, it was fucking awkward and a weird scene, and I don't really know what it was doing there. They get to the open ocean tank. It's one of those, like, big cylindrical, up to the ceiling, super tall tanks at the center of the room. Hank climbs all the way up to the top of it. He's still got Dory in the cup. She gives him the tag and says that, you know, I think I'm going to remember you. And it's a sweet little moment. It is a moment. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. And then Hank drops her in. We just get a scene of her swimming around the tank, kind of not taken from her point of view, but from like directly behind her. Like think third person video game kind of style. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's gorgeously animated. So Dory is exploring this tank and she finds the shells that she and her parents collected when she was a kid. Yeah, her parents had set up a system with her because they she knew she could remember shells, and so she would always put a path back to their little home, and it was adorable. Yeah, they always set up a little trail of breadcrumbs, kind of, so she could find her way home. So she follows the shells back to her home and finds the purple shell that her mom loved, and she remembers that she went to find her mom a purple shell when her mom was sad when she was little, and that was actually when she got caught in the undertow. So she's remembered the actual event of her getting lost and that it was her fault. Like, she snuck out to go find her mama shell. So she follows these shells back to her old childhood home, and her parents aren't there. And two shrimp inform her that all the surgeon fish have been moved to quarantine because they're being shipped off to Cleveland first thing in the morning. That's why she got that tag. They're all going there. And this is the same shipment that Hank is trying to get on. Unfortunately, Dory can't remember the directions down the pipes. She yells through the pipes in hopes that Destiny can hear her, and she does. Destiny gets Bailey to work echolocation magic. He summons his power together and manages to echolocate and kind of get a layout of the pipes, and they're able to guide her where she needs to go. And now he's basically Daredevil. Yes, <laughs> he is. And also, we got it nod to Alien in this movie, which was yes. not what I was anticipating. I mean, Sigourney Weaver, duh. Uh, touche, touche. So he sees something else in the pipes, and he's like, oh god, there's something else coming, she's gonna die, she's gonna die! And then, like, Dory's blob and the other blob merge, and he's like, oh god, she's being eaten! No, it's Marlin and Nemo. They found her. Yeah. So they are reunited, and it's great. They keep following the pipes, they get to the quarantine room and they spot a tank full of surgeon fish and start hopping tanks to get to it. And Hank is there. He's managed to make his way there, so he's helping them. They get into the tank of the blue tanks, but Dory's parents aren't in there. 
And the other fish tell her that her parents went to quarantine to look for her when she went missing, but they never came back. Another plot twist. Yeah. While this whole conversation is happening, tanks are actively being loaded onto the truck. And they start picking up the blue tang tank, and that's hard to say, blue tang tank. And Hank lifts her back out right as the tank starts getting taken away, but Marlin and Nemo get left behind. Oh no! Yeah. And right as Hank is lifting her out, a worker's like, hey, I found that octopus that's been missing since the beginning of this movie. And grabs him, and Dory gets dropped and washed out with the drain to the ocean. Now Dory is lost and sad, and this, I think, was the saddest part in the whole movie. She immediately starts forgetting that she's been separated from Marlin and Nemo. Like, she's so distraught that she's gotten separated from them, and then immediately can't remember who they are. (laughs) Like, it's so sad. But then, she comes across a shell. She likes shells. Hey, there's a trail of shells. She follows them. They lead to a home. And this home has a dozen trails of shells splitting off from it in every direction. Yeah, this is like the most adorable, heartfelt part of this movie. It's so sweet. It's her parents' new home. And they actually come swimming up just as she finds the house. And they've got... They're just carrying shells. Yeah, they just full of, of shells. They've dedicated their whole lives to making these big arms and paths of shells for Dory to find so that she could eventually come home. Like, oh my god! Yeah, and they, they're they like, yeah, we didn't want to go too far because we knew you'd come back. Yeah. It's adorable and heartfelt and it's parents. and It's, it's real sweet. So they have this big reunion scene and... They're like, oh my god, have you been alone this whole time? Like, my poor baby. And she's like, I haven't been alone. Oh, fuck, Marlon and Nemo. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't say that part, but it's on her face. I, You know, I really wish she would have said, oh, fuck. <laughs> Dory calls to Destiny for help. And Destiny's like, I can't help you. I'm just in this, you know, this tank. And Bailey convinces her to take a leap out of their tanks to help her. And... Bailey's like, look, I got you, buddy. I can echolocate. I'll tell you when you're about to run into something. Don't worry about your nearsightedness. I got you. Oh, and by the way, there are no walls to hit in the ocean. Yeah. And she's like, wait, why didn't you tell me that from the beginning? They use Bailey's echolocation to track where the truck is going. And they both take flying leaps out of their tanks and into the ocean. They followed the truck to this bridge and they need a distraction to stop traffic conveniently, there is a big old cluster of sea otters right there. And they're like, hey, if there's anything that people like, it's a fucking sea otter. So they get all the sea otters to climb onto the freeway. And then Dory's like, three, two, one, cuddle party. (laughs) And all the otters start snuggling each other. And all the cars slam on brakes. And everybody's like, oh my god. I mean, what would you do? I'd I'd, I'd stop. Oh, 100% guilty. So once traffic is stopped, they open the back of the truck to get Marlin and Nemo. Marlin calls Becky to scoop them out, but Becky doesn't grab Dory. She just grabs Marlin and Nemo. And flies off. And flies off. Dory is still there with Hank. And she's like, hey, Hank, I know that you just kind of want to be left alone, but, like, we're friends now, and you can have a family. Like, you should come with us and be in the ocean. 
and she ends up convincing him, but just as he agrees, the truck door shut before they can get out. Uh, pause. Hey, so I forgot our drink. So it's called the clown and the surgeon. It's a clown fish and a surgeon fish. You mean these things that I'm drinking right now? Yeah. Wait. No, those are different shots. These nope, they're the gone now. You need. They're gone now. So this blue one is blue, like Dory. Oh, go. okay. This feels familiar. Mm, no. Well, your motto is just keep drinking. That's right. There you go. Okay, I'm back. So Hank and Dory are like, well, shit, how are we going to get out of here now? And they look up and there's an emergency exit in the roof. There is another way. There is another way. He picks her up and they climb out the emergency exit. And then they hijack the truck. <laughs> I don't really know how else to say it. They hijack the fucking truck. Nope. A tang and an octopus drive a stick shift truck. Yep. Dory guides him back to the ocean in her Dory way. She doesn't really know where she's going, but then... They're caught in a roundabout, and she sees the people that were driving the truck and was like, I know those guys. Go to those guys. <laughs> and then she sees seagulls flying overhead, and she's like, seagulls, they go to the sea. Follow those guys. Eventually, they make their way towards the ocean, and she's like, dude, you want to do something crazy? And he's like, yeah, all right. And she has him drive off the edge of a cliff and into the water. Well, because there were cops in front of them. Yeah, the, the fuzz was after them, as Bailey said. <laughs> so as the truck is tumbling, of course, the doors fly open, all of the tanks empty out, and all of the fish have been freed and reintroduced to the ocean. Like Sigourney Weaver said. So, flash forward, everybody's living happily ever after. Dory is with her parents, and Hank is the substitute teacher for Mr. Ray. He's on migration. And Bailey and Destiny are there to help out with the teaching, too. Dory goes swimming to go look at the drop-off, which you, of course, will remember from the first movie. Only bad things happen at the drop-off. Yep. And Marlon is nervous that she will get lost, so he follows her. But she's just there, chilling, looking out over the drop-off. And he smiles and says, you did it. And then we get a flashback of her parents saying, you did it, the first time she followed the seashells back home. And that's how the movie ends. I love found family. Yeah, I love found family too. Um, what do you have to say about this movie before I have to say the things that I <laughs> ethically have to say? I, I think it's a cute, fun adventure as long as that's what you look at it as. And kids are going to do that. They're not, honestly, I have an idea about what you're about to say. And yes, as an adult, there's, there's ethical issues and whatnot. But at surface level, it's a fun adventure. And I had a lot of fun watching it. I don't disagree. I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. Not as good as the first one. And I will say, a lot of that is the fact that the tank group made the first one for me. Yeah. So. Um, I agree. The bubbles, the bubbles, the bubbles. Yeah. So, I enjoyed this movie. I don't really know that I need to see it again. I saw it. It was fine. I liked yeah. it. It was fine. 
I do appreciate that it was like it had its pull at the heartstrings kind of moments. Yeah. But like Pixar lately has been I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but they yeah. border on trauma porn sometimes. <laughs> like, it's just too fucking much. I don't want to trigger a depressive episode watching a fucking animated movie. Like, that's not fun for me. I will say that I felt that this one was less traumatic yeah. than some of their other ones. That was my favorite thing about it. I was like, man, it's really nice to watch a Pixar movie without sobbing and feeling like there's no good left in the world. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I think the animation was beautiful. The voice acting was all really good. But I'm gonna have to talk about Blackfish a hot second. Because I have to. I'm gonna try to keep this brief. I work in the zoo field. And there's a lot of scuttlebutt about this movie. Some of that scuttlebutt is that Ellen DeGeneres was a big proponent of why this should not take place at a marine mammal entertainment-ish kind of park. And that the original ending of the movie was that everybody got to escape and that was great. And that Disney was like, hey now, we have aquariums and we like those. So maybe simmer down a little bit. (laughs) There's an aquarium with Dory's name on it and Nemo's name on it. Right. And I cannot say for certain that this is how things happened but the scuttlebutt is that disney was like we're gonna need you to rein it in because aquariums do good shit and we have those uh so good for disney for standing up for that and i mean i think the world knows what they need to know about ellen at this point quick quick sidebar story about blackfish blackfish is a load of shit Look into the background of that production. You got jilted ex-employees who are out to slander their ex-employer. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the gist of, of the heart of the production. Not even going into the rest of it. If you have to look at something past that, there's already an agenda there, guys. Come on. Yeah. I don't know if they ever officially were taken off of the Emmy list for Best Documentary, but... They were so slanted in their presentation of their documentary that there was debate of whether or not the movie could be considered a documentary. Yeah. Because it was more like propaganda. So I'm going to include in the episode info two different links. One is to an article on marinemammaltrainer.com slash the-truth-behind-blackfish. And the other one, and that is kind of an op-ed from a actual trainer and not a lot of lawyers. (laughs) An actual op-ed from a SeaWorld trainer about that situation. And then also a link to a Blackfish analysis, which is a full breakdown of all of the misleading and or inaccurate content in that movie. And that literally goes scene by scene and gives you the context for all of the videos that are included and how they are being used in the incorrect way. The links for those will be in the episode description. And also, I feel like the best way to kind of get the point across, because I can bitch about Blackfish all I want. I'm a zookeeper that you may just disregard me because of that alone. But there is real life proof that these kinds of stories have real life consequences. Yeah. Anybody my age grew up watching Free Willy. I will admit, I fucking loved that movie as a kid. Thought it was great. 
the whale that starred in that movie, Keiko, was rescued from a not great situation. True story. The park that he was in was too small. It wasn't great. He was rescued from that. But then this whole campaign built up where it was, let's really free Willy. Let's let him go. It'll be great. So then they spent millions of dollars trying to integrate this whale into wild pods. And he wouldn't do it. He had been raised around people for so many years. And they basically kept having to send out a boat with people in it every time to be like, hey, we're going with you. Go see these whales. And he kept leaving the whales to come back to the people. Because he wanted to get fed and he wanted to get taken care of. And he, like, he was literally trained to do so. Right. Like, he had formed a really strong bond with people. And he actively cared more about interacting with people than he did about wild whales. And in that situation, reintroduction is not an option. And... They tried to keep track of him. They know he kind of followed this one pod, but he was never truly accepted by the other pods. And he died of pneumonia five years later. And this was all because some people were like, yeah, let's start this campaign. And then they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars uplifting this whale from the home that he knew and the lifestyle that he knew and was happy in and threw him in this completely new, more dangerous environment. And I don't want to say abandoned him out there because they kept sending people out in boats because he kept actively seeking people. But right. like, he spent his last five years in turmoil because of decisions people made based on shit like this. I mean, so it doesn't seem like much to just be like, oh yay, all the tanks are empty and everybody gets out. But that's not the real fucking world. So anyway, my only point is, like, it doesn't seem like much, but when you just have them willy-nilly, hey, out you go, you made it, it's great, it'll be okay, I'll be your echolocation buddy so you don't run into walls, that whale shark in reality would starve to death. It would not be able to acquire food. That whale shark would die. So it really, really rubs me the wrong way because this stuff just sends the wrong idea about what proper animal rehabilitation and release is. It can be done in a great way and it can happen. And it does. It can't, and it does, but it cannot happen for every individual animal. And there are animals specifically in my care right now that are rescues that if they had been re-released would be dead and instead are living happy, fulfilled lives with us. So I'm really fucking passionate about this. (laughs) And I can't 100% get behind this movie because I know that ultimately that is what they're trying to get at. And I appreciate Disney kind of standing their ground a little bit, but still all the animals just end up out in the wild. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. And I'm going to step off my soapbox now. Actions have consequences, and so, you know, educate yourself. That's that's really the, the main point, is look at how it can actually affect people and animals and everything else, and think about things before you just say, hey, let's go free Willy. Yeah, that's a very, very complicated process, and not something that animal care professionals take lightly. So please don't think that we do take that lightly. Anyway, Bab. 
on a scale of one to five purple shells. What do you give Finding Dory? I give Finding Dory a solid four. All right. I think I'm going to go three and a half. I think it's a decent enough movie. I don't really need to see it again. And the zookeeper in me is like, just enough to knock it down from a four to the 3.5. I didn't mean to interrupt you. What do you want to say? No, I I think that it's a, a fun adventure. It's a solid story. I think there were fun characters. We definitely built off of the premise from Finding Nemo. And there was more story there. We left it untold with Dory. And now I think we've kind of hit most of our story points. And I'm, I'm good with being done with that world. It's a great world. It's a fun world. It's an educational world to a point. I knocked other ones for not having musicals. And this isn't a musical. It's Pixar. So I enjoyed it for what it is. And I loved seeing the characters again. Yeah. That's pretty much where I'm at. All right, shall we roll for next week? It's your turn. It is my turn. Here we go. Four fifty three. Oh, all right. Four fifty three is Monsters Inc. I love Monsters Inc. Yeah, I like Monsters I'd like Inc. To I'm revisit excited that. about that. I believe we just got information that we're getting another movie in the Monsters universe. Uh, I think it might be a show. I think it's a Disney Plus show. Is it? Yeah. Monsters at Work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about that. All right. So uh, we hope that you guys will join us in two weeks for our next film review adventure of Monsters, Inc. In the meantime, like us on Facebook at Disney Plus Roulette Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Roulette. We are on Instagram and TikTok at Disney Roulette Pod. Hold on, I'm doing my TikTok dance. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> or you can shoot us an email at Disney Roulette Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at browsehousemedia.com or just drop a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And thank you again, Corinne, for sponsoring this episode. Yep. And listeners, Sigourney Weaver is going to help us!